Welcome to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good morning. And welcome into the podcast. I am Jay. Today is December the 22nd. It's 2021. And it is three days until Christmas, which makes a lot of people happy. Of course, it's just over a year and three days, and it'll be Christmas again. Um, That makes a lot of people unhappy when you say stuff like that. So I'm glad I could help you out this morning. Um. Unfortunately, today we're starting off with uh, a double dose of tragic news. In Chicago, uh, a uh, firefighter, Michon Plummer, Engine 94, uh, has died as a result of injuries that he sustained while battling a basement fire. Um, I believe Michon was around 30 years old. And uh, if you know anything about Chicago, and forget the Chicago Fire TV show and backdraft and all that. I don't care about any of that. But if you know anything about Chicago Fire, you know uh, you know that their fire department is uh, is a tough department. Um, a lot of tough individuals on there, and they have to be because Chicago is a tough city. Uh, lots of fire activity, uh, lots of activity. Period, and uh, they're very proud uh, of their department. And they should be. They do a great job. Uh, this young man, by all accounts, was uh, was well-liked and a hard worker. And, uh, of course, uh, his, uh, his uh, fire family is devastated. Uh, obviously, his, his family is as well and his friends. Um, one of his friends has said that uh, he, he died doing what he loved because he really loved firefighting and, um, you know, it's difficult to lose people. It is at any time. It's difficult to lose them around holidays. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. Um, obviously when, uh, when we hear about a line of duty death, uh, you know, our first thoughts are always with the individual, with the department. And then of course it pops up, you know, well, how did it happen? And, and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, all of that comes out in time. Um, you know, the, the important thing is, is to support the family and support the department and, uh, help them to get, to get through this, uh, in the best way possible. And, uh, you know, Chicago has certainly lost, uh, a number of firefighters over the years and, uh, doesn't make this any easier. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll have a lot to think about for sure, uh, moving forward. Also, this morning, uh, I received a notification that uh, an assistant chief has died in the line of duty uh, in Missouri. I believe it's Boone County um, or Boone, Missouri, one of the two, or maybe both. Um, uh, Apparently, it involved uh, something on on an interstate. And of course, uh, again, uh, you know, it's a tough loss. Operating on interstates is is fraught with danger. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that happened. Uh, We'll bring that up uh, on the next podcast. Um, 
but it is enough to to start and, and just comment on two situations that um, not about the basement fire in Chicago or the the Boone uh, Missouri uh, um, line of duty death, but in general, you know, what do we know about basement fires? Um, well, uh, number one, we know that uh, there's potential for a lot of heat. Um, there are ventilation problems, oftentimes access problems. Um, you know, when you're burning the, the lower level of a structure, you always worry about, at some point, stability. Um, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day who uh, is uh, uh, studying to become a pump operator. And uh, was talking about how important it is, you know, uh, to, to keep that water to, to the people who are inside. You know, it, uh, by any means necessary, you have to keep water to those lines. And, and uh, you know, I can't think of a better example than a basement fire where you just can't afford to lose a line. Um, you can't afford to lose them anywhere, but certainly a basement fire is one where uh, you worry about. And then, of course, when you're operating on interstates, uh, you know, uh, they're highways and they're also dieways. Uh, people get hit. Firefighters get hit. You know, we, we talk about scene safety um, almost to the point where it just becomes a saying as opposed to anything meaningful. Um but it is a legitimate concern. And, uh, you know, to the best of your ability, you got to get blockers out there. Um, you have to have that sort of, not that sort of, you have to have scene awareness. And that's not for the just for the incident commander, that's for everybody on scene. Uh, knowing where you are, knowing that if you take a step left, you could get hit by a passing car. And the human body is not built to sustain uh, high-speed impacts from automobiles. It, uh, it simply isn't. And uh, you see a fire truck uh, or, or any type of, of a large truck that's been hit by a vehicle going 55, 60, 65 miles an hour, and that is a lot of energy. It is. And... Uh, those trucks and cars don't come out looking good. You can only imagine what what uh, what the human body would look like or does look like. So sometimes it's not about just checking a box and saying, you know what? Yeah, we we trained on that today. Did you? I mean, what did you talk about specifically with with scene safety? How often do you talk about? How often do you take guys out um, and and you know what? Measure out two traffic lanes. Set your equipment out in it. See just how little room there is, especially when traffic is still flowing, because we know from an economic standpoint, um, government is loath to shut down major highways. They talk about the economic impact, you know, goods going east, west, north, south. It's a fact. We look at it maybe a little bit different, because we like to think of the life safety aspect of it. Um, but most people look at it from the impact of being, or from the, uh, yeah, the impact of uh, loss of money and or impatient people. How many times have you been sitting in traffic uh, on an interstate and watch somebody who's just absolutely fed up go up the shoulder at 65 miles an hour? 
I've seen it more times than I care to count. And uh, you see somebody who decides, you know, I'm going to cut through a median. Oftentimes, they don't pause for the cause at all. They go right into traffic and, you know, they're oblivious. And they're oblivious because they're angry. How dare someone get in an accident? Um, it disrupts their day. And certainly around this time of year, around any holiday period, people tend to be more on edge. And so it's important, again, that we set scene safety in its proper place. And that's not just reading about it and not just saying, okay, guys, while we're out there today, let's be safe. Let's actually create some, some training and educational tools that show people just how easy it is to get hit. You know, a lot of people like to drill with extrication equipment, and that's great. Um, how about drilling in a confined area like an interstate? I'm not saying go out there and drill on it. I want to make that clear because somebody will send me an email, I promise you. We took it out on the interstate. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is confine yourself to a smaller space while operating and bringing equipment back and forth. These types of things uh, allow people to problem solve, and it's real problem solving. Okay, it's not, a, uh, it's not a question with four answers, you know, and going, huh, I wonder if it's A, B, C, D. Um, it's actually getting their bodies used to it. And uh, these are things that can be done on the cheap. There's no way anyone can come up with a rational reason for not performing these types of drills. And don't forget, you can take an axe. I can take an axe, and I can create a ton of drills around that axe. So can you. What it takes is a little bit of time and a little bit of thought. These types of things help people. And we talk about uh, training probies, and we should. We all have that responsibility. You train younger people. Let's not forget that the veterans, things have to be gone over again and again as well. Um, no one's so perfect that they can't stand a little bit of education or training. And obviously, with less experience, uh, it's even more important to get quality education and training. It's important. And uh, that's the bottom line. Something interesting um, that, that I read, it's an email from someone who is talking about uh, um, leadership. And it's a pretty long email. And we've been emailing for a while now, but the latest email is pretty long. And, uh, you know... I, let me set the stage a little bit. We, we kind of disagree on, uh, on who's responsible uh, for being a good leader. Um, I believe that, that every leader has a responsibility to uh, reach out to followers and, and let them know, each and every one, that the leader uh, understands that they exist. Um, this guy uh, believes that management, um, that he really doesn't want to know the people that he leads because he won't be able to make difficult decisions. Um, I disagree completely. I believe that you are far better, uh, far, far the better leader if you understand that you have real people uh, 
that uh, are, are, uh, are following you or are supposed to be following you. It's why I'm so against management speak in the fire service. Uh, it's why I think there is a, a crisis in leadership, in, in, in fact, um, in the fire service in many departments. If you view a firefighter as simply a number, now here, understand what I'm saying. I am not saying that, that you uh, go, okay, well, that's Engine 35 over there, and that's Doug, Bob, Wayne, and Marie, and, you know, Doug has three children, and Marie, ha- no, no, no. I'm saying that making eye contact with people, uh, letting them know that you know that they exist is a hell of a thing for a leader to do. I remember I was talking with a buddy of mine who is now a, uh, uh, he's a, a captain in, in a fire department associated with the military. Uh, he'd been a, a, a U.S. Army Ranger, and he said as a very young Ranger, um, he was out in an OP uh, observation post. And it was about two in the morning, and all of a sudden, uh, this uh, full bird colonel drops into his foxhole. And he told me, he said, you know, he said him doing that really showed to me what kind of leader he was, because nobody expected him to do it. That was typically something that, you know, uh, maybe a sergeant, uh, sergeant first class, or even a lieutenant might pop out, but a full bird colonel just dropped in and asked him how he was doing and had he heard anything, just basically talking to him. That means a lot to people. Um, this sort of uh, this leadership from on high, uh, it might work well uh, if you're selling toilet paper or uh, you know if you're fumbling boxes down a conveyor belt. In a place where you understand that people can get hurt and killed on the regular, uh, leaders have to be present. Um, they have to be present. It doesn't mean that they go around, they tap everybody on the back, call out their name. That's fine. If you can do that, if you have time, that's fine. Sometimes just acknowledging a person's presence is tremendous leadership. Making eye contact. Letting them know that you know that they're there. The human brat, we crave contact. No matter how much of a lone wolf any of us may be or want to be, crave human contact. And we all want to belong. That's key. Leaders who understand that can become much better leaders. It's the way things work. So, you can manage people like you manage coffee. Uh, but you'll always be a manager and you'll never be a leader. Some people want to formalize leadership in every possible way. They want to make it all about um, step one, step two, step 55, all these sorts of things. Instead of just looking at somebody and going, you know what? Um, I got faith in you. You know, today, later today, uh, when that three-story building is burning, When I tell you to get to the roof and and open, I'm confident you're going to do it. I'm confident you're going to find a way. Um, I know you're not a number. You're a human being, 
and uh, you've got your own brain, and I'm going to assign you to something, and then I'm going to let you figure out how to do it. Because I know if I expect a lot, I'll get a lot. If I expect very little, that's precisely what I'll get. Expectations. Um, we often expect too little from people. That's why micromanagers are uh, they're such a disaster. They can't let people do anything because they don't think people can do anything. They're the worst kind of leaders, and they're especially the worst kind of people to have in operations uh, in a fire department. They're just horrible. They're horrific. Uh, you know, the systems guys often, they're, they're horrible on the scene. And let's face it, you can do your reports beautifully. You can do all these sorts of things. You can be the guy who can manage uh, logistics wonderfully. But at the end of the day, people are going to judge you how you do on scenes, period. Also, leaders have to be engaged. Leaders have to work. The leader who does nothing is not respected. They may be liked because they don't require anybody else to do anything, but they will not be respected. Um, they will not be respected for their knowledge or the important respect they just won't have. Um, again, may be liked, they won't be respected. And uh, in leadership, uh, having that respect is important. Um, also, doing the job. If you get assigned something, go do it. You know, it, it's something that you try to preach to young guys. You know, you, you get an assignment, go and do it. Move with a purpose. With a purpose, move. Um, you know, the guys who sit there all day, and let's face it, you got some, you know, you got those, uh, the, the, uh, the Church of the Holy Recliner. People just, man, they're in recliners, they're, they're in the bed, they're on their couches. Um, we had a guy one time uh, uh, back when, when uh, I first joined my first apartment. Um, we had a guy, that's all he did. And uh, um, when he got moved, they threw out the recliner because they... You know, the guys in the station are like, man, we're not having another clown like that. Um, he ended up getting terminated later. Uh, but uh, the point is, there are people who are famous for certain things. If you're famous for sitting around all the time. And here's another one. And I, I was talking with a buddy of mine uh, who's an assistant chief now. Um, and we've talked another night. And I just casually mentioned, I said, hey, man, what's driving you crazy lately? And he said, what's driving me crazy? Guys on their phones. Um. He was in traffic. He pulled up beside uh, one of his ladder companies. Um, I think they have eight ladders, uh, eight truck companies. He pulled up beside one of them. He said, I stared at the officer through a whole red light. He never looked over at me. He said, so I texted him. And I said, hey, man, look to your right. He said, and then he looked over, and he's like, oh, crap. And so then he texted. He said, man, I'm sorry. And the chief told me, he's like, you know, he said, how does that look to the public? He said, he said, I get it. He said, you know, I'm not about optics or everything. He said, but optics are important. He said, and it, it just drives him crazy. He said, you know, he sees it and he stops it. He said, I stop it every time I see it. He said, if somebody's up there speaking and somebody's on their phone, everything stops until that person gets off. Um, and so that's something that's driving him nuts. I, I think the thing that, that, has driven me uh, nuts more than anything else is, is frankly, it's, it's not TV watching and it is certainly not the phone. It's just guys who are checked out. 
they're sitting there, but they have nothing to add. They don't even know what conversation's going on. And when that happens during training or when that happens um, during conversations uh, involving fire operations or, or departmental activities, things like that, it, it drives me nuts. You know, and everybody gets driven nuts by something. That, that's fair. Uh, but that has always driven me nuts. Um, I'm not a big TV person. So I don't know why people feel the need to watch TV all the time or whatever, but that's fine. I mean, that's you're there 24, 48 hours. I get it. It's just amazing how some people can't seem uh, to, to get away from that for half hour to an hour. And the problem is, is they're not held accountable for it. That's the big problem. You see, we talk about these things, and we talk about new leadership systems, and we talk about new ways to do things. You know, you have a guy that wants to reinvent the way people climb ladders, you know, and he's like, I'm going to reinvent the whole thing. And it's like, I don't think you need to do that. Why? Just hold people accountable for what they're supposed to be doing. That's the key. If somebody has an assignment and they don't do the assignment, hold them accountable. I believe leaders benefit from that more than anything else because if someone doesn't do their job it's not something that's hidden from anybody else everyone else knows it and so when you hold someone accountable and here's a good story um here's a real good story i think uh we had a problem a long time ago with guys uh wearing helmets we just did and uh so the old chief was there, and, and things were, you know, well, he'd go on a little tear about it, and so we get a new chief. And the new chief comes in, and the first time that he sees uh, someone without their helmet, he suspends them. And he suspended two guys um, for not having helmets on. And he sent them home, period, gone, loss of pay. You know how long it took everybody to start wearing a helmet? Yeah, that day. And look, it's a fact of life, man. Um, you have to hold people accountable. Whether it's professional sports, whether it's big business, no matter what it is, if you hold people accountable, it doesn't mean swing the broadsword on everything. You know, we don't use hammers on things where you can you can use a little bit of uh, you know a little silky a little silky touch and say, hey, you know, do better. Don't use a hammer on that, but you have to do something. This is the key. It's one of the keys to leadership. If you're a leader or, or a wannabe leader, if you know something's supposed to be done and people aren't doing it, you have to hold people accountable. It's amazing how the, that one act, and understand this, that act has to be fair. And when I say fair, I mean fair. A lot of guys get away with something because the chief or battalion, district, division, whatever, because they like them. That's whatever, you know, life goes on. But if you're going to hold people accountable, you have to hold people, not a person, people accountable. And a lot of times leaders don't want to do that. Or I shouldn't say a lot of times. Sometimes leaders don't want to do that. You have to. That's the bottom line. It's hard to sit there and say, well, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And the first time it happens and it's the wrong person or the right person, nothing happens. Now you've just lost all credibility. And guys talk about it. Trust me, it goes on all the time. Um, so, yeah, 
you know, be accountable, hold people accountable. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, you'll be measured for what you can do. And that's about as fair a system as you can imagine, is just saying, you know what, um, do you do your job? And if the answer is yes, good, then you move on. You know, that's good. Know it and do it. That's the key. That's going to do it for today. Until next time, stay safe.